We started this series called No Strings Attached. The first week I preached a message called Strings Attached, where we evaluated some of the things that maybe we did in the past, maybe things that were done to us in the past, or maybe even things that were done by our family generationally up to five, maybe even ten generations ago that, that we may still carry because what you don't deal with, what you don't handle in this generation, you hand down to the next generation. And so there are some things that we carry that we don't even know why we feel the way that we feel or behave the way that we behave. Last week, we really dove into this idea of Jesus being enough, like being alone with Jesus and truly being content in Him, not being alone, but being alone in Him. We called that singleness. Please listen, hear me. If you are, are single, if you are not currently in a relationship, or especially if you're in a relationship that is, that is not a, a covenant relationship, holy matrimony yet, go listen to that message last week. Today, I, I told you this is my final warning today, okay? Um, if you have little ears in here today, I, I'm excusing myself from what they may hear. I, I recommend, I recommend that you take advantage of children's ministries today. This is a, at least a PG-12 type message. I'll tell you why I don't say it's PG-13 and why I believe that's too late. I'm going to do my best to, to be respectful in my verbiage. I'm not going to be intentionally brash today, but we are going to have a conversation about a plan for purity, and we are going to uh, wade off into the depths of immorality today. And we're going to talk about in the house of God what is destroying the house of God, even in the house of God today. So that is my final warning. If you do not want your children to hear some of the things that I have to say, now would be a great time to go check them in down the hallway and let Pastor Lydia and or one of our children's team ministries take care of them for just a little while longer today. It was a couple of years ago, uh, my, my first grader came home Maybe it was last year. My first grader came home, and she said, I was, this is a secondhand testimony for me. Her mother told me this story. She said, Mommy, I know what the Butterfinger means. Now, look, for like 32 years of my life, before I moved to South Louisiana, I thought Butterfinger was just what I crushed up and put in my blizzard. That was like the extent of the Butterfinger. But apparently somebody down here decided to call it the Butterfinger at some point, and I don't know why. I'm not even going to go into it. But my child didn't just learn. It's the middle finger, for those of you who were not acquainted with this terminology, as I was not at 32 and have since been educated. Um, but she told me what, she told Megan what the Butterfinger was. She said she knew it. And then Megan made the mistake that a lot of people make. Listen, when a child says something out loud, do not say to that child, what did you say? They're going to say it again, okay? Like if you didn't want them to say it the first time, don't ask them what they said because they're going to tell you, okay? So when Emery said, I know what the Butterfinger meant, Megan said, what? And so Emery told her. She said, it means, and she said it. Like, no, I know, right? And, and it's, look, okay, I'm excusing you. Like, I'm not condemning you for laughing. Because I, I did this, I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, 
the, only, the, the, the issue here was that same week, it was as if God was showing us something in our home. And, and when, by the way, when you pursue Jesus and you walk with Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit will reveal to you things that are yet to come. He will, he will show you if you're sensitive enough to listen to him speak. Um, we received a text message. I'm so grateful for the connections and relationships that God has allowed us to make in this community. We received a text message from a teacher letting us know that our then third grader that same week um, had heard from one of her friends or one of the young ladies in the class, these little girls in the class. This little girl said uh, something about having sex with her boyfriend. And so the reason, hear me, the reason um, that I'm calling this PG-12 and not 13 is just to grab your attention. Because in my house, if we waited until 12, we were four years too late. Um, and that's in, like, that's in your preacher's house. <laughs> like, and uh, I don't put myself on a pedestal or a platform. I'm just letting you know, this is where we are. And if we don't have a plan for purity, then we will fall to impurity. Because the cliche phrase that if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. It applies specifically in this area. Listen to me. Very few people fall forward. Very few people. Unless you fall forward on purpose. Most of the time, you fall down or you fall backwards. And today, I want to talk to you about a plan for purity. But in order to do that, I want to answer this question is, how did we get to this place in our society? How did we get to this place in America, in American morality? Like, what happened to the shining star on a hill of the 1940s and 1950s? After World War II, up to World War II, predominantly, uh, you know, minus that whole very big slavery issue, um, up to that point, from our foundation to about 1960, we were predominantly known as a Judeo-Christian nation. I think the best example, some of you are not going to know what this is, but the best example for me would probably be the Dick Van Dyke show, where they were in the same bedroom, but they weren't even in the same bed because they weren't married. Versus today, where I had to turn the TV off because two men were making out in commercials. Like, where, where, this is, where did we go? Where, what happened? to the shining city, to, to the sin city. Like, what took place? Well, most people would point back to the sexual revolution. But what caused the sexual revolution? Well, Dr. Judith Rassman actually won a con congressional lawsuit against some of these industries. I don't have time to go into that. But Dr. Judith Rassman points back to Dr. Alfred Kinsey. Some of you may recognize this. It was a book that was written in the 1940s, late 1940s. It was called The Sexual Behavior of the Human Male. A few years later, uh, he actually produced another book called The Sexual Behavior of the Human Female. These two books became the foundation that we used in this nation to teach about sexuality. They became, Kinsey became known as the father of the sexual revolution. The world pointed to Dr. Alfred Kinsey as the one who revolutionized our sexuality. One person wrote it this way, that Kinsey reported 
that it was biologically normal and it hurt no one. Therefore, people should act on their impulses. Hear me. They should act on their impulses with no inhibition or guilt. In other words, what he's saying is, if it felt normal, it had to be moral. So Dr. Judith Rassman goes in and looks at these reports uh, of Dr. Kinsey. And, and by the way, there's a movie in the early 2000s about Kinsey. And actually, I read an article from that time period from the New York Times evaluating. And the article read this. Dr. Alfred Kinsey, liberator or pervert? That's how the article read. And there are discrepancies into what this man actually was because he was celebrated as a hero because of what he wrote. But when Dr. Rassman began to study this book and study the research that was produced out of this book, she noticed that Kinsey reported gratification from a two-month-old baby. She noticed in one column that Kinsey reported 26 climactic experiences from a four-year-old child within a 24-hour period. And Dr. Rassman asked the question in reading that report, how did Alfred Kinsey collect data of gratification and stimulation from a two-month-old? How did Alfred collect data of 26 climactic experiences within a 24-hour period on a four-year-old? Unless he hired what she suspected in Nazi pedophile to come over and help him produce this report, which is today locked up in archives that people cannot get to. How do you create such an atmosphere that a child in its innocence would be stimulated? That is the foundation of the father of the sexual revolution. There was one person that you may recognize. It was a young college student that read the sexual behavior of the human male. And he said, and I quote, I will be Kinsler's, Kinsley's pamphleteer. I will be Kinsley's pamphleteer. In other words, I will be the voice of Dr. Alfred Kinsey to the next generation. That young college student's name was Hugh Hefner. He developed Playboy magazine, and it is actually Playboy magazine that Dr. Rassman engaged in a lawsuit with. This began an already stirring defamation of humanity, defamation of God's creation, something that was formerly considered shameful and sin is now considered normal. And we have seen that defamation and that morality continue to produce more and more immorality over the years. From what we went and what we had in 1950 to what we see today in 2020. Because when the foundation is wrong, what is built upon the foundation can't help but be that bad. Statistically, the pornographic industry consumes over 40 million Americans on a regular basis. 
40 million Americans regularly engage in pornographic websites, pornographic material, for an average of six and a half minutes. The pornographic industry's annual revenue worldwide, pornographic industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. That is also more than the combined revenue of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Pornography use increases marital infidelity. Pornography use uh, increases marital adultery by 300, by more than 300%. Uh, because nobody just wakes up one day and says, you know what, today is the day that I'm going to be impure. Today is the day I'm just going to ruin my life with another individual. 11, 11 years old, according to uh, the resource that I printed in your bulletin. Uh, this is where we're getting this from, our Conquer series that collected data from Barna and Covenant Eyes. 11 is the average age of a child first exposed to pornography. 94% of children will see pornography by the age of 14. Um, just 70% of that, 70% of that viewing is done right here. And by the way, that's a two-year, that's a two and a half-year-old statistic. So I'm sure it's higher by now. So in other words, um, if your child has one of these from eight to eighteen, if your child has one of these, and you do not monitor regularly, consistently, and specifically, they've already seen porn. You need to have a conversation today. They've already seen it. They've already been exposed. And as a human in our fallen nature, you cannot help. Male or female, you cannot help but have patterns of sequence fires take place in your brain the first time you see it. Because the enemy doesn't fight fair. 68% of evangelical Christians, 58% of pastors are addicted to the secret assassin behind closed doors. And the only reason... That I have freedom, I found freedom, and I remain in freedom is because my bride asked me on a daily basis for several years and continues to ask me sporadically how I'm doing specifically in regards to what I view, what I see, and how I feel about it. If I did not have those consistent conversations and know that she's going to ask me what I've clicked on, what I've looked at, what I've listened to, then I would be just as stuck as the statistics that I am reading. One major pornographic website reported that 32% of their regular site traffic, 32%, I don't know how they got this, but this was accounted for again on that same resource, 32% of the regular site traffic in 2019 was not from men but from women. That's a 3% increase from the previous year on this website. The Barna Group reports that 15% of self-identified Christian women are viewing pornography at least once a month. Beggar's Daughter, that's a website developed for women and young women who are struggling in this area, who have this addiction and who can't seem to overcome it. Uh, that Beggar's Daughter, the website, says that 87% of self-identified Christian women have seen or viewed pornographic material. I'll give you two statistics. Uh, David Platt wrote a book 
And Pastor David Platt and I don't always agree doctrinally, but this is a very good book. It's called Counterculture. David Platt um, documented in Counterculture that, uh, first of all, 97% of addicts, whether it be um, immorality or addiction to anything else, alcohol, drugs, et cetera, et cetera, um, which, by the way, pornography is, is even more addictive than alcohol. It's actually more difficult. Um, most alcoholics can be sober and, and catch freedom in about 90 days. Uh, someone who's addicted to pornography, it takes two to three years for them to truly be able to overcome and remain victorious in this area. Um, but David Platt documented that over 97% of people who do not have accountability will relapse to their addiction if they don't have open consistent, honest accountability in this area. I I hate to throw all of you under the bus, but ladies, if you're not having conversations, men, if you're not having conversations, then you're probably hiding and you're probably trying to cover up something that God really wants to cleanse you of, forgive you of, and help you walk in freedom over. 40%, this one caught me in my gut, 40% of the women involved in pornography are not there willingly. Up to 40% of them are trafficked into that industry and they are trapped unwillingly in what we, even in the evangelical church, are viewing on a weekly basis. Wow. Thank you for inviting me to church this morning. I'm so glad that that I came today. I preached this message to our teenagers Wednesday night and I preached hard because I, I understand that that what I'm attempting to do here is not easy. Because we have said as a church, even as a culture, that this is okay as long as I'm not hurting anybody else. That what I do in private is my business and nobody else's business. And we have justified outside of Jesus things that Jesus actually shed blood for. We have justified and said okay to things that God killed his only begotten son over. And so my objective this morning, my objective Wednesday night, was to make sure that the church stops saying okay to things that Jesus bled for and wants to see us free from. It's not okay, but it can be. And until we change the way that we perceive this battle specifically, I'm telling you, America will not, there will be a last day's revival. I believe that there will be a remnant and the the Bible says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. He started pouring out his spirit in the book of Acts and there's an even greater outpouring that's coming in the last days. I don't know when they're going to be. I don't know if they're tomorrow or they're today or they're six to 20, 70 years from now. But I can tell you that there will be a last day's outpouring of the Spirit of God. And as long as immorality exists in the house of God, those people will not experience that outpouring. Because you cannot be in impurity and in intimacy with Jesus at the same time. The two cannot coexist. What do we do? Number one, we repent. We repent of what we've been sweeping underneath the rug. We repent of what we haven't been willing to talk about in the house of God. And we've caused 70% of his church to feel naked and ashamed and alone in the secret. 
Because we're not willing to have conversations where it counts. Our children are learning what they're learning in the hallways of their school instead of in small groups with somebody that knows what they're talking about according to the word of God. We've got to be willing to open up the can of worms that is honesty in regards to impurity. That is honesty in regards to immorality. We've got to repent and change our mind. I'm going to give you 15 years of a pursuit right now here today. How many of you have ever asked the question, man, I just wish I knew the will of God for my life. Like you're saved and you love Jesus, but you just, man, I, I wish I just knew what God's will was for me. I'm about to give you one scripture and save you 15 years of pursuit. You ready? First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. It is God's will. Perk up somebody. I'm about to help you out today. <laughs> it is God's will. That you would be sanctified. One version says made holy. It is the will of God that you would be sanctified. That you should avoid cussing people out and making yourself look like an idiot. Well, wait, wait. Okay, I'm sorry. That's not what it is. Of all the things that Paul could have said. I mean, he's got my attention. He has shouted to the church. This is God's will. I mean, I'm like, oh, okay, man, I've been seeking this one out. Man, come on, tell me. That you would be sanctified. That you would not be given of all the things that he could have said. To the spirit of slap for all the stupid people around you. I mean, he could have said, like, murder. He could have said anything that he wanted to say right here. And that of all the things that he could have said that are going to keep you out of the will of God, he said that you would avoid, above all else, sexual immorality. Why? Because Paul knew 2,000 years ago. What he called immorality, Americans would begin to call maturity. <clears throat> oh, well, you're just dated. Oh, you're, you're just being immature. If you were to grow up in maturity, then you would understand that it's not immoral. You were actually made this way, and you're supposed to accept this kind of behavior because this is how you were created. See, I came to tell you today that, that you weren't created as a sexual being. I've heard, well, we were created sexual beings. There's nothing wrong with it. No, no, no. You weren't created as a sexual being. You were created in the image and likeness of God for the glory of God. Our sexuality is what God gave to us in order to multiply the right things the right way. And we have taken one of the things that God created us to experience and turned it into the main thing that we reserve the right to experience. We did that with marriage. We made marriage an idol. We did it with purity. We made purity an idol. So that people like Joshua Harris, who wrote a book called Not Even a Hint, and he wrote another book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He was the pamphleteer, if you will, of arriving at the altar as a virgin. And just a few months ago, he renounced his Christianity. 
Why would Joshua Harris, not even a hint, I kiss dating goodbye, renounce his Christianity? Because he thinks that he made it to the altar in his own ability. Because he perceived virginity in a marriage covenant as the ultimate objective. And when he got there, that objective didn't measure up. He didn't give God glory for taking him to that place. He gave himself, just like Lucifer gave himself credit and gave himself glory, so did this guy. And when you make an idol out of marriage and purity, you do the same thing to whomever you're speaking to that Lucifer did to the woman who wanted to be like God, but not through God. We repent. It is God's will that you would be sanctified, that you should avoid at all cost sexual immorality. Let's keep reading verse four, that each of you should learn to control your own body. In a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. You know when, you know when child pornography actually began to become a thing? When we legalized pornography at all. I would even venture to say that child pornography would not exist at the level that it does if we hadn't passed a law to legalize any kind of pornography. Let me ask you the difference. Um, so the way that I see my five, seven, and nine-year-old, God sees his 25, 27, and 29-year-old. So according to God, and we get all in sorts about child pornography. Oh, cut his, castrate him and take him out of society. That I've seen this week. That SOB needs to die. Let me ask you a question. In God's eyes, what's the difference between an 8-year-old and an 18-year-old? Just because we drew a line in the sand and said, this is where you shouldn't cross. Baby, listen to me. You don't draw the line. It's already been drawn you got to figure out what it says, and you stay on this side of the line. Because when you begin to cross the lines that God's already drawn, then the line begins to fade with the society that starts drawing it on their own. And when morality decreases, mortality increases. And we become less like God every day. Why? Because we stop standing behind the litmus of His living Word. The Lord will punish all of those who commit such sins. As we told you and warned you before. Verse 7. God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, no matter whether they're 8, 18, 38, 48, 58, or 68. You know what scared me more than anything else? And I didn't share this in first service. What scared me more than anything else is when I was a 20-year-old youth pastor and I was addicted to pornography because I was afraid to tell anybody and I, I feared in my soul that if I heard the trump of the Lord, I would stay right there while everybody else received his salvation. While everybody else was called forward. Why? Because this scripture says anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives the Holy Spirit. That was my conviction. If it's not your conviction, then that's okay for now. But I pray that the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you the same way that he did me. Therefore, if it's rejected, it doesn't reject a human but God. Watch the very God who gives it. So here's what I'm saying. Um, some of you aren't. If your Facebook messenger is dirty, 
then your heart is dirty. If your music is dirty, then your heart is dirty. If your movies are dirty, then your heart is... If your Netflix account is trying to help somebody. If your Amazon Prime... See, they put labels like mature audience on the shows that the young people shouldn't see. I'm relabeling that today. It doesn't mean mature audience. It means moral apathy. You get to a place where you begin to allow demonic activity into your living room and expect for your living room to still be a place in which the Holy Spirit can reside. You can't have both, friend. We can't have both. We've got to stop reestablishing the line that God has already drawn in the sand. Young people, you'll get this one. If your Instagram is dirty, if your direct messenger on Instagram is dirty, if your Snapchat is dirty... You may think it disappeared, but I'm telling you, Jesus didn't stop looking just because you thought it was deleted. If any area of your life is impure and you're going, oh, well, God is okay with this. Since when? Show me one place in Scripture where an eternal, perfect, holy, heavenly Father was ever okay with sin. I'm telling you, Jesus could have stayed in heaven, but God killed him for this. He doesn't desire for us to be here. He doesn't desire for us to stay here. My objective this morning is not to condemn you out of impurity. It's not to scare you out of impurity. That works for a couple of days. I'm not here saying this morning that your relationship is sinful no matter what age you're in. Unless your relationship is sinful no matter what age you're in. I'm not here today telling you that your secrets are sinful. And if you keep any secret from anybody, then it's all sinful. Unless the secret that you're keeping is sinful and you know that you're still carrying it and trying to cover it up. And you think that you'll carry it for your grave before you ever tell anybody on earth. The problem is when you carry something to your grave, you pay for it in eternity. And that is the tragedy, right? Here's why my heart broke. and this, Let me just soapbox Chris Fry for just a sec. Don't leave the church over this. It's not worth it. Unless it is. This is my personal conviction. I was watching a football game a couple of weeks ago. And on the way to what is called the halftime show, I saw a naked woman laying on the couch with no top on. And my wife said, we ain't watching that. And then, and we didn't. Thank God. Praise God. Because if you let an 8-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, boy and or girl, watch that kind of stuff, listen to me. What's the difference in Shakira or J-Lo sliding down a pole, taking off her clothes, and Emery or Adeline sliding down a pole? Because they're 8? Because they're 38? It's a defamation, defamation of humanity. And what hurt my heart was when I know that like, people were on social media celebrating the defamation and objectivity, the subjugation of the female figure. As if it was culturally honorable. Because a woman sliding down a pole and taking off her clothes is no different than, than our boy last year that was taking off his clothes and doing all that other crazy mess. I'm not saying it's a woman or man thing. I'm saying it's a humanity thing. You know, my heart will be just as hurt if I see you on Second Street drunken in revelry this week. I'm just letting you know right now. I'll say it very carefully. Hear me. Hear my heart. Please hear my heart. If you need ashes for it on Wednesday, don't do it on Tuesday. It's that simple. Now, we all fall short of the glory of God. And I love what the ashes represent in my life. 
I love that Jesus Christ gave his life for me. I get the significance of it. But don't you dare justify action on Tuesday just because you think you can confess it on Wednesday and do some kind of symbolic ritual and end up okay on Thursday. You're going to end up on Thursday just like you were on Tuesday. I don't care what act you do on Wednesday unless it's confess. Repent, number two, confess. I might have just gotten myself in a whole lot of trouble. You know what? I believe that God is going to cleanse us from within. And we're going to see a great revival, not just in this city, but in this state and all the way around the world, when we truly begin to pursue intimacy with Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to condemn you out of impurity because that wouldn't work three days. But if I can inspire you into intimacy with Jesus, that you would pursue him and purity, then I can transform and impact your eternity to the next, the second, the third, and the fourth generation so that there would be a remnant ready for revival whenever God pours out his spirit that's what we're pursuing I'm not trying to hurt you I was with you I was struggling with you but I had to change my mind about what I thought was okay I had to change my mind about what we were willing to talk about and have open conversations about and then I had to confess I had to confess to God. Why? Because God paid for your sin. I didn't pay for your. You can tell me anything that you want to. I can't forgive you. I didn't pay for your sin. I can't forgive your sin. But you confess your sin to God. Why? Because he's faithful and just to forgive. When do I want Adeline, Emery, and Gabriel to come to me? When everything's great? Yeah, sure, let's celebrate it. But a real daddy... We'll walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death, even if you brought death upon yourself. See, I want my babies to come to me when they're at their worst. I want them, I want them when it's ugly and when it's evil. Why? So I can take their hand and walk them out of it as long as they'll follow me and stay about and connected to me. That's when I want them. Jesus says, come to me. Why? Because you can't carry this on your own. If you were going to get free of it, you would have already done it. Confess. Because he's faithful and just to forgive. Above all else, avoid this and come to him. Confess one to another. So that what? So that you can pray one for another and be healed. I'm not telling you to go confess every evil thing that you've ever done. My wife doesn't even know all the evil, stupid stuff I did in the seasons of life before I met her. What would be the point of that? So I can give her a complex? No. We have open conversations about the things that we need to have open conversations about. And if I was still carrying it, and I was convicted by it, then I didn't act like Adam and the woman in the Garden of Eden and cover up my shame and hope that God didn't come by and ask me any questions. No, I confess, because I don't want to carry this into eternity. I would rather confess it. I asked a young person the other day, I said, man, what, what is the worst thing about this battle? Like, why is this so hard? I'm preaching to a group of teenagers. What's so hard about this battle? The first thing that person said, fear of confession. Like, I was so afraid to tell anybody because of what I thought would happen. I was so afraid to let anybody know who I really was. Here's the problem. The enemy knows that if he can isolate you, he can infiltrate you. See, if he can get you away from the flock, then he can consume you away from the flock. And he knows that you will always be as sick as your greatest secret. 
But when you share in honesty and openness, you confess your sin to God and you begin to confide in accountability partners and in people that love you but are not impressed by you, then you can begin to discover the freedom that Jesus Christ paid for. Confess. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 14 said, For God will bring every deed into judgment along with every hidden thing, whether good or evil. The Bible says there is no thing hidden which shall not be revealed. Absolutely no thing. You know why I used to do what I used to do? Because I thought I would get away with it. But when you realize that you're not going to get away with it, it's going to get you. Then you're much more willing to begin to share. And you're less afraid of what will happen if you do confess. Because you understand what will happen if you don't confess. Share. Be sure and know your sin will find you out. I'm going to lighten it up just a little bit. Why are we having the tough conversations? Because not talking about things in our past and taking things and not being willing to share what's taboo and scary, the confession seems so big. The confession seems so scary. But listen to me. Carrying this into eternity will be much more fearful. I'm going to lighten it up just a little bit. I'm going to show you a video. We're going to land this plane today. I'm going to share with you God's plan it's okay to laugh okay we're going to loosen up just a little bit before we come back and i give you a glimmer of hope now that i've whipped you with scripture for the last 20 minutes i'm going to share with you god's plan for purity let's show that video run Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. There's no method of management in this area. There's not a three-step process here. There's some things that you can do to stay free, but there's only one thing that you can do to be free. There's not like levels here where like, oh, I got to here, now I get to here. There's not, hear me, look, check this. There's not like a, a certain amount of this that you can handle because you're grown and you're mature and then a certain amount that you don't need to see or endure. Listen to me, if it's not good for my babies, it's not good for me. If it's not good for your children, it's not good for God's children. That's the point. Don't twist what I was saying today and use it as an excuse to remain, for, remain in something that Jesus paid for you to be free from. The point of the day, there's only one way to get rid of this. Paul's divine plan for immorality and impurity is run flee youthful lust anything that stimulates it 
avoid the very appearance of evil specifically in this area. Why? Because he knew that Jesus said, if the eyes are good, the whole body's good. If the eyes are evil, the whole body's evil. Run! No temptation has overcome you except such as common to man, but God is faithful and he will give you a way to escape, to run, to get away from it. Not to manage it. Oh, well, this part's okay. Well, this much is okay. No, flee, run, get away. It's not okay. Jesus died for it. Don't allow it. Repent, confess. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy, watch, enjoy. Instead of that, enjoy the companionship of Real relationship. Enjoy the companionship. Not a fantasy. Not of not of falsely doctored up photos and videos of people who are trafficked and trapped. No. Enjoy real relationship with people who call upon the name of the Lord with a pure heart. Because when you call upon the name of the Lord, he begins to purify your heart. Watch this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. God's will, here we go again, God's will was for us to be made holy. That was his will for us, to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices over and over again, year after year. We have to come before God just to be right with God, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. So there's not another thing that you have to do. There is the one thing that was good for all time that he's already done. He sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, where the Bible says to the woman, your offspring shall be smitten, but the enemy will strike his heel and you and the, and the offspring will crush his head. Listen to me. Immorality is nothing more than another snake in the grass. It's just a big snake that is constricting people's purity before a holy God. It is constricting people's intimacy in authentic relationship with Jesus and other people. It is poisoning. This snake in the grass is poisoning our perspective of humanity and how God even created us. There ain't but one thing to do with a snake in the grass and that is to cut off that snake's head. You can't stay in my house. You can't stay in my TV. You can't stay in my cell phone. You can't stay on my iPad. You can't stay on my billboards. You can't stay in my commercials. You don't reserve the right to have influence in the atmosphere over which God has given me control of. I will cut off your head and my enemies, just like his enemies, will be my footstool. So the things that I used to stumble over, my babies are going to dance on because I cut the head off of that enemy. I didn't call you here today to condemn you. 
to beat you up and have you walk out of here defeated. I came today to expose the enemy so that you could repent and confess your sin to God because he's faithful and just to forgive. So you're not going to walk out of here defeated. You're going to walk out of here more victorious than you've ever been before. And you're going to walk with Jesus to stay that way. Because why? Because verse 14 says, by one offering, he forever made perfect. One offering, one sacrifice. In one moment, he said, it is finished. You don't have to stay that way just because you've been that way. In one offering, he forever made perfect. What? Those who are being made holy. So if you're in him, you are being made holy because of the one offering that he gave. Repent and confess because sin will take you further than you ever meant to go. And sin will cost you more than you can ever afford to pay. But I'm going to leave you with good news today. Jesus has already paid for it all. Jesus has already paid for your experimentation. Jesus has already paid for the abuse. Jesus has already paid for the apathy. Jesus has already paid for the adultery. Jesus has already paid for the intimacy outside of holy matrimony. Jesus has already paid for the addiction, for the for the longing, for the bitterness, for the pain, for the hurt, and for the brokenness. Jesus has already paid for the shame. So share it with somebody and let Jesus reign supreme in your heart, in your house, and in your habits. Why? Because that is what he paid for. And he who the Son sets free is free in Jesus' name. It can't stay in my house. Last thing I'm going to say, we're going to pray. I told you that meeting wouldn't be at 1045. This is the last thing I'm going to say. You ready? Jesus loves you enough not to leave you the way he found you. Wait, wait, wait. That's not what that says. That says Jesus loves you enough not to leave you the way you found him. He didn't lead you there just to leave you there. He wants to continue making you into his image and likeness so that you don't have to cover up because you're confessing. So that you don't have to clean up because he's cleansing. Come on, so that you don't have to shut up because he's anointing. Because you're not used up. You're paid for. You were worth whatever heaven had to offer. And you can be free in the love of God. If you'll repent and confess and run, flee with Jesus away from impurity. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, I pray for every person in this room. Help us to engage in this battle. If we're a born again believer, spirit filled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, water baptized, wherever we are in our journey with you. If we're struggling in the area of lust and impurity, if we're allowing 
things that you paid for to infiltrate our hearts and ultimately our homes and our habits. God, would you open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, like you did Gehazi before the prophet Elisha and let us see into the supernatural the activity of heaven and hell. But God, help us to remember that no matter what we've let in before, there's still two-thirds of heaven fighting against a third of the fallen. And God, if you be for us, then nothing that comes against us shall have the ability to overpower us. But God, today, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, I begin the process in many people right now, right where they sit, of confession, of repentance. Right now, right where they sit, right where they're listening online, I begin the process of sanctification that we have been made perfect by one sacrifice, by one offering, so that we are being made holy. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in the room that doesn't know you right now, God, they would surrender their life to you. They would surrender their life to you. They wouldn't just ask you to come into their lives or into their hearts, but they would offer their lives to you and say, God, take my life. Lord, take my life and make it yours. Forgive me where I've fallen short. God, forgive me for the ways that I've fallen, the ways that I've stumbled, the sin of my past and present. Jesus, you paid for it. I believe you died on a cross and you were resurrected from the dead. Lord, save me, cleanse me, and fill me with your spirit right now in Jesus' name.